covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. This is the second to last program in the regular season. Really, you could actually argue that this is the last program of the regular season because when we are recording the podcast next Sunday evening, the regular season will have ended. They will have played their final game of the year, and we will know what is in the future for the Brewers. Is it a wild card game at home on the road? Is it a somehow a game 163 if something crazy happens? Is it a divisional series if something crazy happens? We'll find out all that information. Just six games left in the regular season for the Brewers. And I don't think many of us thought they would be where they're at. If they can go four and two on this road trip, if they can just win each series, they're going to have a 90-win season. Raise your hand if you saw a 90-win season a couple weeks ago. I think even the most optimistic view of this team, and I include myself in this group, I think even the most optimistic view of this team a couple weeks ago was, okay, they're going to play some better baseball in September. They're going to uh, be able to take advantage of the schedule. You see the Cubs and Cardinals, they're going to beat up on each other. These other teams are going to fall off, and maybe the Brewers will get to 86, 87, 88 wins and find a way to sneak into a game 163 or sneak in to that second wild card, which a couple weeks ago, that would have been major success. Now we're talking about a team that, while not yet having clinched a playoff berth, appears to be en route to playing some version of postseason baseball this year. It's pretty incredible to see what the team has done. They just wrapped up playing 18 straight games without an off day. They won 15 of the 18, 15 of 18 without an off day in there. It is just absolutely, absolutely remarkable uh, what they are doing. A couple things to get out of the way here at the top of the podcast. First off, if you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter. Find me at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you are someone who listens to the podcast via Apple Podcast and can leave a ranking and review, that would be fantastic. Uh, if you want to subscribe, that would be very good as well. And also a special hello to people who are not listening via podcast, but listening uh, via the radio, Doug Russell's Pod Center that he puts together on 540 ESPN. Uh, it runs during that, I think, I believe, a couple times a week. So if you are listening to this Later on in the week, maybe Wednesday or Thursday, uh, please note that this is being recorded on Sunday night. So the information that we're going with is current as of Sunday night. There is a chance you are listening to this podcast and you already know that the Brewers have clinched a playoff berth or something like that. We'll just have to uh, just have to wait and see what goes down uh, moving forward. What do we say about these Brewers? I mean, some of the numbers after their win on Sunday are are just incredible. As we record on Sunday night, the team has won 8 of 9. They have won 15 of 17. There are season-high 16 games over 500. They are 19 and 5 since August 28th, 17 and 4 in the month of September. Both of those numbers are the best in Major League Baseball. Um <sighs> yeah, I mean they're just they're playing great baseball. And we talked about it a little bit last week. We'll continue to talk about it. The way this team has been able to utilize the expanded roster, its I think it's a work of art. We probably give, whether it's baseball with managers or other sports, sports with coaches, we always tend to probably give managers slash coaches too much credit and even too much uh too much blame. In fact, we probably give them too much blame more often than we give them too much credit. At the end of the day, a baseball manager places players into a position where he thinks that they are going to be successful, and then it is up to the player to be successful in that moment. And Craig Council has done as good of a job as anybody this September putting his players 
into positions to be successful, and those players have then followed through with success. We always do the thing where we compare last year to this year. I don't like doing it, but I keep doing it. And for me, it feels like the difference between last year and this year, they went into that September run last year, but they were solidly in playoff position. They had played good baseball. Last year, there was the August 31st trade deadline, and they made some seemingly really nice moves right there going into September. So while I don't think anybody could have expected the September run that the team went on last year, I don't think it was overly surprising. There were things that the team had done in April, May, June, July, and August that indicated that they had the ability to go on such a run. Not this year. Not this year. This isn't supposed to happen in baseball. Baseball is supposed to be a sport where you are who you are over a 162-game season. That doesn't mean you can't change, add players, things like that. But you don't flip a switch in baseball. You just That's not how it works. Other sports, you flip switches. I feel like in basketball, there have certainly been teams that are very talented, that have underachieved in the regular season, and have been able to flip the proverbial switch at the end of the regular season and into the postseason. I don't know if it happens in hockey. You don't really have enough time for it in basketball or in football, I should say. But you can. I mean, there's teams that are sitting 500 through the first eight games of the year and then all of a sudden find a way to you know push forward in the postseason, make a nice little postseason run in the NFL playoffs. Baseball is the sport where you're not supposed to be able to flip a switch. And the Brewers absolutely have. And it's a credit to everybody. I think the team was galvanized through the Christian Yelich injury. It'd be cool to be able to hop in the DeLorean and go back to that moment and not have Christian Yelich get injured and see not just from a win-loss standpoint what happened down the stretch of the season, but more from an individual performance what happened the rest of the season. I think it's really important that the Brewers have won a lot of games with a lot of different people contributing. That's a big, big part of what's going on. You need your veterans to contribute the most. Ryan Braun, Mike Moustakis, Yasmani Grandal, Lorenzo Cain. Th- those are the guys who have to contribute. Those are the guys who have to, to use a Craig Council phrase or saying, those are the guys that got to drive the bus. But that doesn't mean you can't have other players who come up in big ways. Obviously, Sunday, a good example. You hit two home, or you hit, uh, you score all your runs via home runs. Where Eric Thames hits two home runs, and Orlando Arcia hits one. Neither of those guys had played that well, especially at the plate over the course of the homestand. But they come up big. We've seen big hits from Trent Grisham. We've seen big hits from Corey Spangenberg, Keston Hira. Uh, everybody up and down the lineup, up and down the roster. There's been big moments for a lot of guys. But you need kind of, to me, there's that veteran group of four, that core group, whatever order you want to put them in. Ryan Braun, Mike Moustakis, Yasmani Grandal, Lorenzo Kane. That's the group. Those are the guys that need to step up. And I think they are stepping up, and it has been a whole lot of fun to watch. We'll see what happens over these next six games. This is not going to be an easy road trip, by the way. To me, this is one of those times where the road trip or the teams that you're playing are tougher than their records that go along with them for two reasons. Uh, a reason, well, Different reasons for each team is what I mean to say. For Cincinnati, they have really, really good pitching, and you're going to be facing off against two of their top pitchers in the three-game series, a couple guys who have had success against the Brewers. And for whatever reason, the Reds do tend to play the Brewers well. And then in Colorado, it's Colorado. You don't know what's going to happen at Coors Field. It's crazy. It's craziness. Uh, Weird things happen inside of that ballpark. So that's the road trip that the Brewers are going to go on as they look to secure a playoff berth and maybe even more than that. Here's what we've got coming up on the program this week. 
Brad Ford is going to uh, join us. Generally, we have Brad on to talk minor league stuff. Not this week. We're going to have a major league conversation with him, and we're going to get that rolling here in just a moment. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers X Rennings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation. You hear this guy a lot during our Down on the Farm Report, and we will, as we always do at the end of the season, have our extended minor league conversation with him. We always wait, at least I say always, we waited last year because last year was the first time the Brewers had been uh, in the playoffs since I've been doing this podcast. We waited till after the Brewers' playoff run last year to do the full minor league recap, and we're going to do that again this year. But we can talk big league Brewers with Brad. Ford say that three times real fast. Uh, find him on Twitter at uh, Brew Crew Blue. And I said that off the top of my head. I think that's just, I got that right, right? I don't even have it yeah, in front of me. You nailed it. Okay. One. I've I've never uh, I've never not had the security blanket of having your Twitter in front of me when I've introduced you until just now, and it, it was good. So I, I introduced you correctly. That's good. All right. I hope I'm like the person you know the most and the first one who you didn't have that uh, security blanket for. So you all, I, I swear on anything that this is the first time I've ever done one of these interviews, uh, especially during the social media, account, even during the minor league thing, where if the person has a Twitter account, I don't have the Twitter account in front of me. Uh, the only outside thing is... Uh, people probably can figure this out we're not in the same room right now uh there have been times where i've been in the same room with somebody and i haven't had a computer available but when a computer is available this is the first time Mm-hmm. well that's because you see you remember off the top of the head because i'm the favorite guest so i think I, I think you're the most common guest because sometimes <laughs> you're in this segment and sometimes you're in the uh the minor league report which is good most common favorite there you go semantics Let's, uh, Brad, be honest. Uh, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying the most negative place I ever got to on this Brewers team was, man, it's going to be really, really tough for this team to make it to the postseason. Like, that was I, – I never closed the door on it, but the, the most negative I got was, man, it's going to be really tough at this point. It's not looking good. Where? What was your most negative statement you made about this team in terms of postseason potential – here at any point this season i think so they go through in october they come off a decent uh interleague series with the rangers and the twins and even with two days off that week they go into that where they lose four or four of the next five against washington and st louis and you know i thought Coming off that hot week, because um, I, I think they had a winning week uh, going right before that interleague series going against uh, Pittsburgh. And I thought, you know, I'd given up. I The team obviously was dealing with so much uh, between, you know, Lorenzo Cain's dip in performance based on the injuries he's played through, Josh Hader giving up home runs. Uh, you know, at that point, Brandon Woodruff is injured and not in the rotation, and the rotation just doesn't look strong. Um, and even when they had leads, it felt like the bullpen was just vomiting the lead back. Um, so I I had lost hope. It wasn't that I didn't believe in the team as the collective, but it was more of like, this is going, to, I still believe this team can be very good, and I believe they can have a successful September. But, you know, it just feels like the Cardinals and Cubs season to take it. And boy, was I wrong. It's been fun. It's been, and here's all they got to do is go two of three against Cincinnati, two of three against Colorado, or four of when four games somehow between those two series combined. They're a 90 win team. We're not, yeah. we're not talking about you know, who would have thought, very few people would have thought that this team was going to be a postseason team three weeks ago, a month ago. How many people, the most positive thought was, okay, maybe this team finds a way to get to 87, 88 wins and the Cubs do something and the Cardinals do something and the Nationals and Phillies and Mets and Diamondbacks, none of them play well, and they, they sneak into that second wild card. Who would have ever thought that this has a legit potential to be a 90-win team? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking 85 even coming out of August. You know, that's a 
pretty good September. I knew they could have a good September. But then to have the record that they have had and go on a hot streak where, what, they've had four losses? Three losses. Um, it's No, four losses because of the one against San Diego. It's been insane. I mean, they, it's one of the hottest stretches uh, aside from last year that I've seen in my time as a Brewers fan. Um, especially, like, I think in the period between the 2011 playoffs and Craig Council's playoff teams, uh, we have had so many late season just disappointments where they can't hold it together. Yeah, there are a few games out, but then they just collapse and they fall apart. And I think that's still beaten into me. But with the roster versatility Craig Council has just to, you know, put his team in good winning situations and manage his bullpen in creative ways that lead to victories, it's, I don't know, it's rejuvenating and it, like, feels, if, I mean, they feel like they could go a decent way in the playoffs still. Like, no, they don't have a superstar, but when you're l managing people with the off days that you have um, and you have more space in between games and you can be a little bit more aggressive with your bullpen, he can still do this. He can still do the four-inning uh, short starts and, you know, really manage his pitching staff in intricate ways the way he wants to. And that's what has seemed to lead them to success. I mean, their offense still hasn't been spectacular. Yeah. You put up 20 runs in the first two games against the pirates, but you know, Cubs put up over 40 in their three games with the pirates. Um, I don't know. It's fascinating. It's truly fascinating that they've gone from last month to this team that seems like even the toughest team, even the Astros can't come in and just knock them out. They, really seem like a superpower again, which I don't think we felt like since last year. Um, and that they've done that without Christian Yelich since September 10th has been even more just amazing. Yeah, you know, a lot is made of the schedule that the Brewers are playing down the stretch. And there's a bunch of teams that are not especially good. But if you really look at what's led into this stretch – They've got two series wins against the Cubs. They've got a series win against the Cardinals. They've got a split that you just uh, mentioned against the Houston Astros. That's all in this kind of recent run. Around that Astros time was when it really felt like things were, were starting to get going. So, yeah, they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat right now, but they've also shown the ability to beat good teams during this period as well. And I think that's when we, when we look at this team as possibly going on some sort of postseason run, I think that's just as important as them taking care of business against the teams they're supposed to, the fact that they have been competitive against very good teams as well. Right, and I hate doing the, yes, they have an easy schedule, but no, that doesn't mean it's easy. Look at the team's June. They played you know, Miami, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, San Diego, Cincinnati, Seattle, and Pittsburgh again. And they lost how many? One, two, split with the Astros, but of the bad teams. So they lose the Marlins series, they win the Pirates series, lose the Giants series, lose the get swept by the Padres, split the Red series, lose the Mar her Mariner series, and then win at the end of the month in the Pirates series. Those are all some of the worst teams and very similar teams, if not the same teams that they're playing right now. And those teams were able to really put a big damper on their midseason hopes and like mid what they had done up until that point. So, I mean, yeah, it's an easier team, a lot of um, poor performers, but here is this, you know, stretch where they go, what is it? Three, 17, 18 games without a, an off day, which is really difficult on a team. And, they still come out of it with only three losses. And like any any baseball team can win any given day. There's a reason we never have had an 162 season for a team. Like there's no such thing as an easy win. The Pirates have tried to give easy wins. That's <laughs> this. Uh, That's I, probably the closest yeah. thing as of late. <laughs> Brad, I, I got to be honest with you, and I want to get back to something you just said, but but let's get to this real quick. I've been covering this team on an everyday basis for four years. I've watched a lot of Major League Baseball in my life. I've been around baseball a long time. Brad, I have never seen a worse Major League Baseball team than 
than this weekend's edition of the Pittsburgh Pirates. That is the worst Major League Baseball team. That's It's not the same as the Pirates earlier in the year. The Pirates earlier in the year weren't bad. They weren't good, but they weren't bad. This Pirates team this weekend is the worst baseball team I have ever seen play in Major League Baseball. Yeah, they do not have a lot going for them. Um I mean, when you look and their six hole hitter has a 187 OPS, I think in this or in today's or not uh, slugging in this game, um, because, you know, everyone's injured or they're trying to give the young guys opportunities. But it's just a really beaten up team um, and young and kind of lacking superpower. Um, that's not really there. Maybe Adam Frazier has some like all-star ability hidden deep in him. Uh, but since they lost, um, you know, like some of their starting pitchers to injury, it's been a pathetic team to watch. And September has gone awfully for them. Um, it's, I don't know. I like, it's just as weird i've seen a lot of bad marlins teams that could maybe get this one a run for their money but just in the last week with the amount they're losing by and how poorly they've done in the field on the mound in every aspect of the game um it, it's been hard to watch <laughs> i mean they're on a losing streak of zero and nine um and like they've had and when they played winning teams, they've lost, you know, given up at least 10 runs in uh, what, five of the nine games. It's bad. It's not pretty. No. Uh, and, you know, I want competitive baseball, so it's not something I actually like to see. All right. So what I wanted to get to a second ago and baseball is so good at quantifying everything. What I'm about to say, I don't think there's anything to quantify and it kind of hurt the Brewers earlier this year. You were talking about that stretch of where they were playing a bunch of bad teams and not winning as many games as they should have. Brad, you know this as well as anybody. In a 162-game season, every team's going to go through a time period where they're playing some really, really good baseball, and every team's going to go through a time period where they're playing some really bad baseball. So even, even the worst teams in baseball are going to have a little bit of a hot streak. And if you go back to that time period where the Brewers' schedule finally eased up a little bit after they played out, you know, they played such a tough schedule for the first month and a half, two months of the season, they finally get to that period that you just referenced, and those teams come in. If you look, almost all those teams, they were playing their best baseball of the year. So the Brewers caught them at the exact worst possible moment where the Brewers virtually, and I'm not trying to make an excuse for anything, but I think it's a fact, the Brewers, to me, actually played a tougher schedule than what it says on paper because when they played some of those bad teams earlier in the season, they caught them at the worst possible time. And I think it would be interesting for somebody to put up some sort of create some sort of analytic to show you know strength of schedule that includes how good a team is playing at the moment that you're playing them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. Like the San Francisco Giants starting, I think, just before the Brewers series and almost played themselves into playoff contention. Yeah. Uh, and now they're they've been eliminated for a few weeks, I believe, from playoff contention, except for the wild card. That was more recently. But uh, even when you look at what they did, you know, in June, they, you know, win. Uh, let's see. I pulled up their roster. Just look. Uh, I don't know if they're playing their best baseball then. Cause so they have a series loss to the Mets series loss to the Dodgers winning against the Padres. No, they're playing pretty well. Okay. Um, so, sorry for that. I was looking at it and I saw the series loss to the Dodgers, which the Dodgers theme rolled everyone. So, um, you're allowed to disagree with me. No, I get what you're saying, because like I said, they did practically play themselves into playoff contentions and almost weren't going to sell because of what they were doing in June and July. Um, they end up having a very strong period in that series. Um, I think when they played the Brewers in July was when they started getting especially hot and then they go on that uh, winning streak um, and then they decide to sell at, at the end of a very, very strong July. Um 
But you're right. Like a hot team is a hot team. That's why we've seen in the past wildcard winners who, you know, barely squeak in. Maybe they're 82 and 80. Um, I think the Cardinals were 500 when they got the wild card and ended up winning the World Series one year, but they get hot at the right times. We know how much that momentum can really impact teams' performance. Um, I think any ball player or anyone else, though, would argue that a bad team is still a bad team and the team has to rise above um, if you're going to be a division leader. Um, it's just astounding to me during that stretch that, yes, they were playing a little bit more difficult than what was on paper, but that during that stretch, how did no one run away with the division? Yeah. How did no one, like that entire stretch, the Cardinals and Cubs were also playing bad baseball. And I remember the Brewers being within a few games almost through all of that. That no one has like gotten an eight-game lead from another team in this division with how poorly the other teams have played is astounding to me. Um, like the Brewers have that awful month, the and the Cardinals and Cubs just follow suit and lose alongside them to a point where you know at that time I think Pittsburgh is actually in kind of playoff contention. Um, with the hopes that maybe they can get hot and move in. They ended up not, but obviously, but it was one of those odd things where just no one ever took this division. And now because the Brewers are getting hot, they have a chance to win it all because the Cardinals and Cubs just kept kicking themselves as much as the Brewers did. I think that's the thing is people want to talk about um, the team before September and how bad they were, how bad they were. Everyone in the division was playing poorly they the they should not be if they're in a playoff race right now it should be with the Washington Nationals fighting to play the Cubs at home for the wild card or playing the Cardinals because they should have been winning while the Brewers should have been winning and they weren't either and that's why we're in the situation where we're in and in this exciting playoff race because they couldn't capitalize when they had the opportunity to really rise above either there is something to be said and you know we spent what you just said is right, and what you just said, I think, is connected to, more than anything else, a team that was underachieving from an offensive standpoint, and there was obviously some pitching issues as well, but we went into this season saying the Brewers were going to have a top two, top three offense in the National League, and they didn't, and there's there's offensive issues with this club, but to the credit, I think specifically of the veterans of the Ryan Brauns, of the Mike Moustakas's, Yasmani Grandals, uh, Lorenzo Cain to a certain extent, these guys since the Yelich injury have been able to step forward. And all you can kind of say to yourself is, what if these guys would have been doing what they're doing in addition to Christian Yelich? How good of this club? How good of this could have this club been throughout the the vast majority of the season? I mean, yeah, it's it's I. You know, tweeted out today during the Sunday game in the first inning, you get Grisham and um, Grandal aboard the first two batters. They walk right away and that inning ends up being a scoreless inning. And that's been the Brewers 2019. They haven't when they have runners aboard, they haven't been able to do anything with them. And they have one of the I mean, they have the same run differential as the Cincinnati Reds who are 73 and 83 and they are far and away well behind all the playoff teams. I mean, the Dodgers are at 249. They've outscored opponents by 249 runs while the Milwaukee Brewers are two runs under that under zero negative two. Their offense has been, they just haven't gotten timely hits this year. And is that a luck thing? Is it a strategy thing? Um, I don't really know how to define it, but if I mean, you're right, like all of a sudden now Lorenzo Cain has been playing like the Lorenzo, Lorenzo Cain that we saw last year. He's been getting big hits in moments that matter. He's, you know, got a little bit of power this month. Um, he's actually getting hits for one. And yeah, he played through injury, but I'm sorry if you're playing. <laughs> I think the team needs to do a better job of saying like, hey, you're playing through injury, but it's not doing well. You need to go heal up and then you'll come back. But at the same time, the. Like if you're playing and the team says you're OK to play, you need to be producing better than that. He has been 
horrible offensively this season. Um, you've had Grandal, who is, if you look at his track record, he's always been the way he is, walks a lot, but then has a month where he is an MVP, and then a month where he's a hitter who you can barely justify being in your lineup, but you keep him in your lineup because you never know when he's going to be the MVP Grandal. Um, and like, they just couldn't get it together. And now like, I don't know what, if it's a pressure thing with Christian Yelich gone, if it's just a momentum thing, cause they're riding everything that's going right. I don't know why it's working now, but that it hadn't worked all season is confounding because like, I'm, I mean, these are some of the best offensive run producers in the league. And then you have a one of the best offensive run producing rookies in the league hitting 300, and you're still not just stacking up runs. That the offense got better than it was last year. I don't know. It's, But like you said, the important thing is that they're doing it now at the time where it matters. It's nice to see them pick up when the team had that big loss. And in Christian Yelich and you know, really come and finally start doing it because better late than never. And now that they're finally there, I'm not sure if it's a pressure thing. I'm not sure if it's just a coincidence. I really think it's just, they all knew like once Moose came back, once hero came back and they kind of agreed to all take the pressure together and work through this. I've spent some time recently thinking about what's the thing that has happened that if it didn't happen, the Brewers would not be where they're at right now. And one of the things is them acquiring Jordan Lyles. That's obviously a big, big, big plus. The other thing I've spent some time thinking about, and I don't think he's getting the credit that he deserves. When Manny Pena went down with the concussion, yes, Monty Grandal became an everyday catcher, like literally everyday catcher, where he went on a string of being behind the plate day after day after day, playing tough games. Uh, there was that period in Miami where they were talking about you know, him losing weight and then after you give him an IDV with fluids. I don't think Grandal gets the credit he deserves for A, playing as much as he played, and B, being productive uh, it, during those periods. So I guess comment on those two things, the Lyles deal and Grandal playing and do you have anything that is a, is a key moment or a, or a key anything where if this doesn't happen, the Brewers probably don't make the September run? I mean, Grandal is a huge thing. He has literally sacrificed himself to help the team win more often. Um, that has been just phenomenal. Um, I think part, another part of it is uh, Ryan Braun – bringing back his clutch gene in September has been huge, a uh, little recency bias in terms of that, but he has had some huge hits in the last month to really keep the brewers in things. Um, one that I think people, because they didn't like that, it wasn't as exciting as they wanted it to be that they rag on all the time is drew Pomerantz. Mm -hmm. He's been a huge pickup for Milwaukee, you know, two, four, two ERA in 22 and a third innings, Really, the runs he's given up are condensed to a couple of bad outings. Otherwise, he's been fairly untouchable, um, been a phenomenal contributor. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me would be Woodruff actually accept for the entire season. And yes, he was injured for a couple of months, but Woodruff actually accepting the challenge that David Stearns went into the season with where he says, no, we're not going to put vets in the rotation. We're going to move forward with Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. We saw what happened because Corbin Burns wasn't able to step up to the plate and handle that. But Brandon Woodruff not only handled it, but exceeded expectations. And he kept the team competitive when they were at their worst. He was the one who was breaking losing streaks and really keeping everyone from getting to the point of where... You know, I think even the players end up not wanting to play because they feel so badly about how things are going. He has been a big surprise His and had been phenomenal. Um, and to see him pick up, yeah, he had a rough April, but he basically has continued where he left off from the postseason. Um, and I think if anyone can carry them to the or through the postseason, it's going to be Woody because it just seems like 
as of late, since coming back, he's been a wrecking ball who can't be stopped. Uh, either no one's going to stop him or no one's going to stop Brent Suter, one of the two. Yeah, Brent's. Uh, we spend so much talk, time talking about what the Brewers didn't get at the deadline. Brent Suter was essentially a, a deadline acquisition, and it's been incredible what he's done. I don't. So we've spent a lot of time, Brad, comparing last year's team to this year's team, and that's always kind of a flawed thing to do. I am, and let me say, I am just as guilty as anybody because it, it's so easy to do. And the Brewers making the playoffs and back-to-back seasons, not exactly something that happens. So there's a lot of reason to look at this year and look at this year, last year and this year, and the September runs and everything. But the thing about last year's team was you had Josh Hader, you had Corey Knable, and you had all-star Jeremy Jeffress. And those guys could lock down the final three innings. Not, and they, they didn't have that this year. They had Josh Hader. They were kind of using him in different ways when you really looked out at it. Sometimes it was multiple innings. Sometimes they were trying to make him more the, the one-inning closer and pitching in you know a couple days in a row and everything. His role, even as closer, his role wasn't completely defined. Now all of a sudden... You've got Brent Suter. You've got Drew Pomerantz. Some of these other guys have kind of been shifted back a little bit where they're uh, a junior Guerra, I think, is in a much better position now than he was even earlier. Maybe you can say the thing, same thing about Matt Albers. Absolutely, you can say the same thing about Alex Claudio. I don't think it's to the point that it was last year with Hader, Knable, and Jeffress, but with the guys right now that you can really trust and the way other pitchers have kind of slotted in behind them, this is this has turned into a fairly dangerous bullpen. Yeah, especially not having to rely on guys, even if they're getting in trouble. I think that was the big thing about this year's bullpen that last year's bullpen didn't have, is if someone started being shaky, you knew you could go to Jeffress and have two dominant innings. Um, whereas this one, you or this bullpen, you kind of needed a guy just to get through an inning. And you took what you could get from that. Um, But as of late, they've been able to really pick each other up. And even if a guy only comes in for a batter, a lot of that is having the September bullpen depth. Um, Even if a guy only comes in for a batter, can't get the out he needs to get, it's very likely that the next guy out is going to be hot enough to carry his teammates and pick up that slack. Um, I think the big part is... uh, Freddie Peralta, after his dip in August, and yes, he had a bad game today, uh, coming back and having a mostly spectacular September. He's been a great guy who can lead into Hater. Um, and then you look at Jay Jackson also just having a phenomenal season. But all these guys are really stepping up their game and being able to be used in a strategy that has kept them more successful than maybe what was happening before used at the right time of the order used in an inning that's or position in the game that suits them better. Um, And yeah, it's definitely credit that, like I said, Drew Pomeranz helped with that because he was able to take off that late inning load that maybe the other relievers weren't quite qualified to handle. And then you have Brent Suter come up and he goes two innings every three days and just mows through guys and that takes a big load because you know, like, hey, this guy can give anyone else who's pitched a lot recently a break because he can go multiple innings. And he has been what feels like untouchable watching him. Still hasn't given up a walk in his 14 and a third since coming back up to the big leagues. One thing that stinks is um, I believe since he wasn't brought up till September 2nd, he can't be in the playoff roster. But probably better that to not overwork him coming back from Tommy John. Because uh, if he can be like this next season, that's huge. You get Knable back. If Suter can just continue being this fast-working lefty out of the pen, um, I think it, like his change of pace really throws guys off, just how he just goes and goes and goes. You don't get breaths in between your bats. Like He just is crazy um, in terms of his work rate compared to other bullpen pitchers who really want to control the pace of the game in a different way. Um, yeah, it's just everyone's... I mean, it bleeds into what we were talking about with the offense. It's just everyone was like, okay, now's the time when we need to step up or we're not going or we're staying home in October. So they, you know, finally picked up the slack and are charging full steam ahead, you know, actually performing well. Part of it is the acquisition of Drew Pomeranz, which gives two fairly elite guys at the back end of the bullpen now. Both can go multiple innings in Pomeranz and Hader. And. Part of it's just the other guys are pitching better, too. I need a little bit more clarification 
on the suitor and the playoff roster thing. I don't completely understand it, and it's something I should have done some some research on because I got a question about it on the post game show the other day, and I, I know it's the you know last year there were guys who were acquired on August thirty first didn't play in the game on August thirty first, but were on the roster on September first when the rosters expanded. Like Curtis Granderson last year was eligible for the postseason roster. And the first game he played in for the Brewers, where he was on the roster, was September 1st. And the Brewers officially list the transaction date for Suter as September 1st. I think he is eligible. and I He also- is eligible. I'm looking at yeah. the postseason rules right now. And, and the rule clearly states any player who is on the 40-man roster or 60-day injured list as of 11.59 Eastern on August 31st is eligible for the postseason. Okay, so he's in. So that's why those players who weren't on the actively playing like Gio Gonzalez last year and were acquired on the 31st. See, for some reason, I thought it was the 25-man ro- I thought you had to make an appearance on the 25-man roster. Um, that might have been an older rule changed in the last CBA that I was just – because what I always think back to is um, in 2007, the Brewers acquired Ray Black to help them in their bullpen. Or not Ray Black, uh, Ray King in, to help them out in the bullpen. Ray Black was the acquisition this year with Pomerantz. Um, so he comes in, he doesn't get there till September, and he can't pitch in the postseason if they make the playoffs. I remember the announcers making a big deal about that. So I still have that rule always in my mind that if you weren't didn't play before September 1st, you're ineligible. But you know, clearly on the MLB website, it states that if he's on the 60-day injured list, you're good to go. So him and Jimmy could, are actually eligible, although I would still be hesitant to give Jimmy any important yeah. innings at this rate. Yeah, he's not Jimmy. Yeah, he's not going to be there. The the other side of it is, if I understand understand the rules correctly, if you have a player who is injured, you can replace that injured player with somebody who was not on the roster at that point in time so you can get you can kind of finagle things at that point like you could it's not a pitcher but you but by letter of the law you might be able to replace Tyler Saladino because Saladino is injured with somebody else and make them playoff eligible because Saladino is injured even though Saladino is not on the roster right now. So there's there are ways to kind of futz around with the rules if you really, really want to. I don't know. It's Roster management is interesting, and every time I feel like I have a grasp on it, like every level of it, I don't. <laughs> and now it's changing next year too for a regular season. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, just a couple more things before we uh, before we get you out of here. This the the way this team has used pitching and the way that Craig Council has managed. So I've got uh, I've got callers on the post game show, just as there are people on social media who hate Craig Council. Hate and I don't actually think they hate Craig Council. I think they think they hate Craig Council, but what I think they actually hate is the baseball philosophy of the Brewers. Uh, and I, I try to explain that sometimes to people and it never never goes over well because Craig Council represents the baseball philosophy of the Brewers. But like I've got this one caller who last year just ragged and ragged and ragged on council and the pitching changes and that sort of stuff. And then near the end of the year, like he legit felt bad and he called me up on one of my last shows of the year and was like apologizing and saying how you know he's learned so much and yeah, you know what, Craig Council knows what he's doing, yada yada yada. I swear, Brad, within the first week of this season, he's back texting in like the exact same stuff as before. And it's it's the same people who buried the Brewers last year when they got swept in Pittsburgh before the All Star break, who buried the Brewers this year when they didn't need to be buried. So I guess this has now happened two years in a row. Where and the rules are going to be different last year, next year with no forty-man roster uh, at the end of the season, so maybe it feels a little bit different. But do you think the people out there who, for the last two years, have just destroyed the Brewers for the way they go about their baseball operations, do you think now having them probably get into the postseason for a second time that those people, any chance in the world, that they realize that maybe this isn't a fluke and maybe people in that organization actually know what they're doing? No, <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Like they, 
it's like when you try to explain someone, you know, uh, especially old school baseball fans really, really love bunting. God, do they think bunting's important? Yeah. Uh, And bunting has its place, but there are so many like statistics out there that aren't even advanced statistics, like just basis statistics and run creation that show it's a incredibly suboptimal same thing as intentionally walking someone like yeah i'll you know during the paul goldschmidt game where he hit a thousand home runs i was like you maybe should have hit her intentionally walked paul goldschmidt because it's just some batters you don't want to face but historically that putting runners on for free is always detrimental giving up and out for free is always detrimental but no matter how much data you give or proof you give these people they still feel the way they've watched the game for years and the way they've seen people get success for years is the premium way to do it. And I think that's it. Like they're taking, they're taking their facts, but the game has changed so much from when their facts were facts to now their facts are history. Still true, but they're true in 2000. They're true in 2004. It's like, People will always come up to me or will talk about baseball and they'll say, well, you know, the Yankees, they just buy wins when they barely have. Well, aside from Giancarlo Stanton's contract, but it's a homegrown team for yeah. the most part. It, it's not uh, Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, CC Sabathia, 2017 or the 2003 you know, Yankees who are just loaded with all stars that were you know purchased in free agency they're a homegrown team now and but people like still picture the yankees as being what they were in 2003 they it's just hard to recreate knowledge in your mind i think so when you settle in on something that is very comfortable to you you can't go back on it so you see Craig Council, you see David Stearns making all these roster moves, moving someone up and down, having a person who has success go back down because you need, you know, to get more innings and they had the most flexible contract or, you know, player control situation. They had the most amount of options. So it's easier to start their option first, even though he's having a great season up until that point. But you need you need the arms. They still see that and think that's very bad because you sent this hot guy down and that's detrimental to the team because he's hot and he's doing well, but they don't see like, okay, well, because you have these guys for backup, they have rest. And that goes into their game plan of having player pitchers get rest, having that control um, and not like losing players too soon or taking advantage of their options to have that roster flexibility. And even if they perform well, they're on the team to have that roster flexibility because of their options. They don't, they want it to be very straightforward. They want it to be very understandable. They have a lot of difficulty understanding the long-term benefit and the short-term benefit that comes from a lot of that. Um, you know, this season when Chase Anderson was really hot, I think it was June. Um, he was having a lot of good starts and someone comes up to me and they're like, Brad, how come Craig council won't let him go through the go past the fifth? I was like, cause he's not good past the fifth. He knows he's not good. He has the statistics that says he's not good past the fifth or like the third time through the order. And that might bleed into the sixth. And they're like, oh, but he's done so well. He earns it. And I'll explain. He does so well because they set him up to perform well in this situation. He's doing well because they're controlling him and making him perform well and not overexerting him into a place where he does historically doesn't perform well. Like, oh, I really think he should go into the sixth or seventh. A week later, they let him in the sixth, and he gives up like three runs in that inning alone. Yeah, it's not traditional. Yeah, it looks like they could be doing things a different way and finding success, but they have very calculated out what success is, and people just much rather go off their gut and historical performance instead of letting the success speak for itself. Well, it's... I also think they're really good at resource allocation. I keep looking at the run differential, and you mentioned that earlier. And I I honestly, Brad, I love the run differential because I think the run differential represents why the Brewers are so good at doing what they do. To me, the reason the Brewers have a bad run differential is because they do their best never to lose tomorrow's game today, where... 
if there's a game that gets out of hand or there's a game that you can just kind of sense is not going to go their direction, well, then you're not going to allocate resources to a game that you have 5% chance of winning, 10% chance of winning, when tomorrow you got a 60% chance of winning if you don't do that, but you got a 20% chance. You know, I'm just throwing numbers out, but you get what I'm saying. And so there's some games that have gotten out of hand this year, but I think letting some of those games getting out of hand and picking and choosing the places where you allocate your resources that you're able to maximize the wins. You know, the, the old saying is, you know, everybody w- wins 60, everybody loses 60, and it's the other 40 that are on the table. Now, some of these really, really bad teams this year are, are trying to do something about that everybody wins 60 thing. But it's those, there, if there's 42 games that, are, that you're either going to win or that you're going to lose – you need to make sure not to lose one of those games because you were trying to win one of those games that was automatically in your lose 60 category, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there is something to that, not having the fear of losing. Um, because like you said, it's going to happen. Like we talked about, there's no never been an 0-162 team. There's never been a 162-0 and team. So I think just knowing when you're down has been important and having the resources to benefit the players that you need for a win like Adrian. um, uh, No, Aaron Wilkerson. Aaron Wilkerson is a pitcher who has had not the most sensational time when, especially like last year and early in his few performances, he's kind of uh, been this guy who just goes out, gets shelled for a few innings and, but gives all the other players who need the time off the time off. Um, so you can give, you don't have to get into a situation where you might be forced to use a Josh Hader because you burn through your pitchers too quickly or uh, um, more likely a Matt Albers. A Matt Albers is probably more useful to the team, excuse me, on rest. So having him get the night off at the risk of having Aaron Wilkerson, who's a guy who, if he goes three or four innings, you can send back, you can option back down and bring up a fresh arm. Um, and a fresh arm that could help you in different ways is very valuable. Um, I think it's just hard to see that when it's happening live. I think it's easy to like, look back at a few games and go, Oh, that's how they were doing. But I think when it happens live, it's something that's very hard to comprehend. Well, like with the bunting thing, if you've got a runner on at second and nobody out and you bunt them to third, or if you've got a runner on at second and nobody out and you swing away, the, the percentage chances that you score one run in the inning it goes up a little bit. It, it's you've got a little bit higher chance of scoring a single run. It's very very close, but there's a little bit. But the percentage chance of you having a multiple run inning exponentially drops the moment you give up that run. So I get the or the, you give up that out. So the moment when you're doing it and you score the one run, you feel like okay, bunting worked because the team scored a run. But actually, bunting didn't work because if you didn't bunt, you might have scored two or three or four runs in the inning. You actually cost yourself runs, and that's a really hard thing for people to understand because they're clapping their hands because their team actually scored a run. But you might actually be sitting minus three, minus two runs in the inning, not plus one. Right. Um, And I think they think like that that small ball playing for a run is just – so important and that's what ends up being the bigger analogy for what we're talking about is they think playing for the game is so important every game's winnable i mean we've seen insane comebacks i've seen a nine run comeback i think the indians did one in a single inning uh in like 2009 um it was one of the more insane things that i've seen but that game that is so statistically unlikely that it's just much better to allocate resources to losing a game. Not to necessarily giving up, but not giving your all. So you have your good resources the next day. Because like you said, in those small moments, in those small decisions, it's all about increasing your odds to have better success later. And your odds go down detrimentally if you can't have Matt Albers because he pitched three days in a row because you had to pull your inning or your starter in the third inning because he got shelled and you didn't have 
just one of those option players there to throw in kind of feed to the wolves but that's okay because that's why he exists um yeah it's just and then they get upset about um you know who's playing when who's playing in what position it's but I think the data speaks for itself. Yeah. It'll be interesting though, next year with the rule changes, seeing how much that those implements or those being implemented really hurts or has no impact on what David Stearns and Craig council are doing. Cause now you'll have to wait five extra days before you can call a player back up. You won't have the 10 days without an IL stint. Um, and then you'll only be able to increase the, September roster by three players, which obviously... By two, because you're at 26 in the regular season, and you're going to 28. Oh, yeah, two. I forgot about the 26-man. Yeah. So the 26-man might actually make things, in terms of the longer option date, a little more bearable for the team. But then the two-man increase, that could be hugely detrimental. That's a... You know, you bring up a catcher generally in September to have a third catcher on the roster just in case. That's why David Freitas was brought up, and then after the Manny Pena concussion, why Jacob Nottingham got there. You probably can't do that anymore. Nope. Yeah. So. Nope. Uh, unless that's where you feel your need is. So if Yaz is on the team next year in the Yasmanian Devil, um, it, if you need him to play first base regularly – then you have to give up a, a, you know, that spot, which is more likely better used on a bullpen pitcher based on how Craig runs his games. Or, you know, you're not having as many bats, so you can't have David Frieda's pinch hit in the fourth inning and, you know, try to keep a game going and being competitive. You probably have to have pitchers hit for themselves. And it'll be interesting to see just how much that impacts their the September style of baseball. Yeah, it will. All right, Brad, good stuff. What's going on over at uh, Brew Crew Ball right now? Uh, So, of course, we're tracking the playoff race with a daily playoff tracker uh, done by yours truly. Um, Along with that, we're taking a look back at the minors league season very soon, kind of reviewing uh, our top 10 prospects as voted on by the fans and seeing how they ended up performing. Um, I think we'll have some dropbacks next year compared to what happened this year. Because uh, some of the top guys didn't perform too well. And, uh, you know, doing a little bit of Arizona Fall League work after the teams played a few more substantial games. And, of course, we have daily recaps and analysis on all things Brewers. So stop on by and uh, read some good work by the guys over there, including myself. All right. Great stuff. Follow you at uh, Twitter on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Always appreciate the time. And we'll be back with you here. Hopefully hopefully it's a while before we do it uh, because it means the Brewers Major League season is over. But we'll do our full uh, minor league recap at some point in the relatively near future. Yep. Well, hopefully we're talking in November. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Brett Ford from Brew Crew Ball joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. That is just about going to do it for the program today. Here is what's coming up this week for the Brewers. Off on Monday, they played 18 straight games, and now off on Monday, as of Sunday night, the magic number to get into the postseason is sitting at three, which is... So close, so close. Any combination of Brewers wins and Cubs losses that equal three clinches a playoff berth. Clearly, they're looking for more than that. They're looking to at least be tied with the Nationals to get the top wild card and get the uh, home game for the wild card game or even catch the Cardinals if somebody, if either the Diamondbacks or Cubs, will give the Brewers some help. Cubs didn't help the Brewers at all over the course of the weekend uh, when St. Louis swept them. I think I saw first time since 1921 that the Cardinals had swept a four-game series at Wrigley Field. I think it was 1920 or 1921. Saw that early in the day. I mean, it's been a while as the Cubs just played themselves out of the postseason. Not yet mathematically, but figuratively for... For all practical purposes, the Cubs do not appear to be a playoff team. So here's what's going to go down. They're going to play three games against the Reds. First pitch Tuesday and Wednesday will be 540. And then on Thursday, they'll play a day game at 1135. 
uh, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They will play in Colorado against the Rockies in a uh, three-game series. 7-10 first pitch on Friday and Saturday. And then on Sunday, a 2-10 first pitch. All the games can be heard on WTMJ. There will be no Packers conflicts uh, the rest of the way through the regular season because the next Packers game is on Thursday night. They'll play at night on Thursday. That's why they call it Thursday night football. The Brewers are playing during the day on Thursday. So don't have to worry about that in the no Packers game on the 29th and final day of the regular season when the Brewers will play that 2 o'clock. As always, you can hear Brewers Extra Innings following the games on WTMJ, our post-game show, and uh, look forward to talking to you then. Next week's podcast, it could be a fun one. should be a fun one as we know a little bit more about where the Brewers are headed for the postseason. My thanks again to Brad Ford of Brew Crew Ball for joining us, and we will talk to you again next week. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.